You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, diving into the last pod of the week here, the Friday episode, and we've got the Bayheim's Army game just around the corner. Saturday at noon is when they will tip off against Forces of Soul, the 14th seed. It's been a long-awaited start as the TBT has gotten going. A lot of people have probably been watching it. I saw Sideline Cantor clinch their ticket to Dayton, and they were the team that knocked out Bayheim's Army last year. But there has been some of the favorites that have gone down Already, So now they will get the Bayheim's Army side of the bracket going, or at least the other two regions that haven't started. And we will be live tweeting that game tomorrow, Saturday at noon. So you can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse to get our thoughts over the weekend. I believe if they win Saturday, fingers crossed, they'll play Monday night. So we'll keep you guys updated on the timetable. We'll keep you guys updated on our takes as the tournament progresses. But exciting that it's finally here tomorrow at noon, Ty. It'll be fun to watch everybody get together and gel because there are so many new faces. I mean, we've brought up all of the new guys who aren't from the program, but there's still a handful of guys who are from the program that haven't played in this thing before or have played very sparingly in this thing before. So that's what I'm looking forward to. How quickly can they gel together? It's a 3-14 matchup. But again, the seeds mean very little, I think, in this. It's more of a legacy thing. You could have a team that's a, a 14 seed or a 12 seed that's really, really good. So I'm looking forward to see how this team gets put together. Yeah, and there's a lot of hype around this year's team. We should note uh, Pascal Chuku is not going to be playing. That was sort of announced or it came out a couple days ago that he is, was not able to make the trip, unfortunately. So there's always, unfortunately, kind of a couple guys that injury reasons, whatever, don't end up actually playing that weren't named on the actual roster. But Chukwu is the guy this year, which is sort of interesting because there's not really another Pascal Chukwu type on the roster. I mean, there are other center options, of course, but he provided something that they didn't really have in a couple other renditions of this tournament. I don't think it's the biggest loss that they could have had of all the guys, but it seems like everyone else is there practicing. I don't think I've seen anything from DeAndre Kane, but by all accounts, he should be joining the team in Peoria. I did see DJ Kennedy join the team at Liverpool doing the two-a-day practices uh, recently on social media. So it seems like everyone is all systems go, and there's a good amount of hype around this team. I mean, ESPN does their predictions of who will win this tournament every year, and you don't have to look far to see a majority of them picking Bayheim's Army. It feels like maybe 75%, 80% are saying Bayheim's Army will take down this tournament. So... For me, the expectations are you better at least give us some hope, like at least take us to the Final Four for me to be pretty happy because there is a really good roster that you have assembled here. Well, when you look at it, this is the only super team it feels like. I mean, it felt like in the past that overseas elite, to a degree, had a super team because it was the best of the best from overseas. And now you've got a chunk of those guys, a chunk of some other guys from other teams, and then some of the best players that you've had play for your team in the tournament before, notably Devo, that that feels like the recipe, right? And I think all the time about, yeah, okay, the best team doesn't always win, but at the same time, you've got some really good players. I'm with you. I mean, this, if they weren't to get out of the first weekend, 
it would be a disappointment, no doubt yeah. in my mind. E- even though it is a one and done, fluky sort of way to determine a champion, I need to see them out of the first weekend because I do think that this team probably has the best chance that they have ever had to to actually win it. And when you've got guys like Kevin Belby and others saying this is the best TBT roster ever assembled, yeah, you got to make it out of the first weekend. Yeah, I think, so. first off, for anyone that missed our conversation with Kevin Belby, check that out. We also talked with Andrew White this week, gearing up for Bayheim's Army, and it was great talking with him about really a whole assortment of stuff, including his Syracuse days. But Kevin Belby said it. He said, we have the third most wins in TBT history. We have probably the biggest brand in TBT history. I mean, everyone watches these games. Syracuse gets a huge draw each year. They've been around pretty much since the inception of this thing. Devo's been balling since the beginning. Like, there is a big brand that if you follow TBT, you know about Bayheim's Army. And now you add these overseas elite guys, and you really, I mean, the disappointing thing is they just haven't really won it yet. And for the amount of wins that they've had and for the amount of brand exposure they've given the tournament, the wins don't exactly stack up. So this is the year where the stars might align, and I'm very confident in the roster that he's put together that this could be the year, but it's really hard to win six straight games, so we'll see how it goes. Are they the Gonzaga of TBT? I just started to think of that. <laughs> they, they've done well, they've gone far, they have a ton of wins. They might, yeah. And, and now, like, DJ Kennedy and DeAndre Kane are their Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. I, I, think, I think we've got the comp now. Yeah, I like it. I mean, that's what we're just waiting for them to win now. And I've enjoyed this tournament for what it is. At the beginning, it was more than anything just the nostalgia and, oh, yeah, this is cool. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. But now it's on ESPN. Now the purse is even higher. Now there's a three-point contest tied to it, which we'll get to watch tonight for anyone that's interested. I think Andrew White squares off it. I don't know if you can watch it, but at least... Once it narrows down to the last couple rounds, it'll be televised. They're doing the regional thing in Peoria tonight where he's going against Charles Hinkle. But yeah, it's like a bigger deal now to this tournament. And as the tournament's exposure and notoriety has expanded, my like interest in them winning games has expanded as well. Now I'm really invested in it and I want to see them win. Right. It'll be disappointing if there's not a Final Four. And I know for them... It's going to be disappointing unless they win the whole thing because there's no pride in, in coming in in second, okay? You didn't you didn't win silver, you lost gold. Is that that's the case if if you don't win it all here. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Um the three-point contest, I mean, Andrew White kind of ran through it. it. It's a little bit of a different twist on it, but I'm looking forward to that as well. I just want to see early on cuz this is where you see teams struggle in this thing. You need to be able to provide some early offense in these games. Because if you can start to get out to some of these early leads, you can put some teams away. And it's been a struggle for some teams, especially in the first game that they're playing in, to get out and score efficiently. And now you've got a couple marksmen on your team with the new guys that you've brought in, a couple of traditional sharpshooters like Malachi and Andrew White. So this team is built to have some early offensive success, it's just going to come down to execution now. Yeah, we've we dabbled at this idea, but I'm very interested to see what's the first five that goes out there. What are they doing in terms of defense? Are they rotating in some zone? Are they playing some man-to-man? 
I know Jeremy Pope has some background in zone, so it seems like they could go that direction still, but they've made some changes here, and now it becomes, all right, how does this all look once you get on the court together? Like, is DJ Kennedy running the show, or is he taking a back seat for the first couple games? It's going to be very intriguing. Yeah, and especially with some of the guys who maybe weren't there right away, too, for, for some of the practices. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the new guys mesh. I really am, because what are their roles going to be? How much Devo are we going to see? I mean, it feels like a new era of Bayheim's army, and I'm interested. I'm interested, because it's something new, it's something fresh, and we talked about it with Kevin. He wanted to provide something new and something fresh, because the old recipe wasn't winning. Hey, did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is literally a flavor for everyone. And when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they are always passionate about their faves. Mine, the peanut butter brownie. You've heard me talk about it for months now. And if you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you are missing out. You can get anything from fruit flavors like cherry, barcia, and raspberry to some traditional chocolate ones like double chocolate or cookies and cream, German chocolate. And if you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box as well where they'll give you two of each of the nine flavors. And not only are Built Bars the best tasting protein bars, but they're also healthy for you too. Just check out some of the stats here. 17 to 18 grams of protein and only 130 to 180 calories with only four to five grams of sugars to go with it. So order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S track and field team as well go to built.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get 15 percent off your order that's built.com promo code locked on for 15 percent off your order march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so shifting gears to football now, ACC Media Days this week. We will do our most important receiver number one in a little bit. But first, I want to update you guys on some of the quotes and some of the things that came out of ACC Media Days. And I would say when Dino addressed the general media, pretty much generic stuff. There was some funny Josh Black quotes about there's only you can only go to the Dome or the Mall in Syracuse, and I, I don't think he truly meant that. It was kind of taken out of context. But anyway, there were some funny moments, nothing groundbreaking, though. But Nate Mink, I believe, got a chance to chat with Dino maybe when they break off into the other room, and he had some interesting quotes. I'll read you the quote if anyone missed it, and I know this is behind a paywall on Syracuse.com. This is Dino on Garrett Schrader talking to Nate Mink. He said, about Trader, he's got things he's got to work on. If he had the total package, he probably wouldn't have left where he was at and he'd been quarterback where he was at. As long as he's willing to work hard on those things and he's willing to take coaching, then we'll try to continue to make him better. But my goal is always to win the right way and I have to play the best player no matter what. We're going to let those guys compete and whoever we feel is the best player will play. But Garrett has an unbelievable competitive nature about him 
And I think you just can't overlook that. What are your takeaways to that quote, Ty? It's not a ringing endorsement, um, but I don't think he's given either quarterback really a ringing endorsement. And I don't know if this is the way that Dino's playing the keep it close to the vest card. I'm not sure. But what I can tell you right now is I'm not super optimistic about the quarterback position in this moment because when we're at this point and you see this play out with quarterback competitions, whether it's college, whether it's pro, it doesn't matter. You see some of these similar quotes when you don't have a guy. Like I think about it with the Chicago Bears last year with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. I was hearing a lot of the same things when they were talking about the quarterback competition. Guy works hard. He, he's putting in the effort. He's putting in the work. But neither quarterback's very good. So I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned with what I'm hearing out of the quarterback room right now. I know you're going to hear like, oh, this guy's playing well, this guy's playing well. But until we actually see it on the field, I'm a little concerned with what's going to come out of the quarterback room, no matter who, who is the starter on week one. I think if you were hoping Garrett Schrader would come in, turn heads, and take the job right away, that's not exactly what we're seeing in these quotes. It's not looking like he came in and wowed Dino. Now, Dino has said positive things, and he talks a lot about his competitive nature. He's quick to bring up how his running ability is really strong. But I read that quote, and we talked last week after, I can't even remember, there's been so, so many little updates, but I think it was after... Nate Mink wrote an article that Dino hinted that Tommy has an advantage just because he has more knowledge of the offense to him. And I think you asked, what's your meter at for who's going to start week one? Now, this is not who we would start. This is not who's going to be playing week eight, who's going to be playing an ACC play. But who comes out first series game one in Athens versus Ohio? And I said Tommy DeVito 80%. After reading this quote, I probably, if anything, bump it up a little bit more to the 85-90% range. I really think that as it stands right now, we should be expecting Tommy DeVito to start game one. I, I've bumped up a little bit. I've bumped to 60%. I, I'm still not fully sold. I, I still think it's early in this entire process, too. And uh, listen, I don't think we've heard ringing things out of out of Tommy DeVito either. I, and that's the problem for me at, at this moment. Also, I think it's a problem, too, when you've got Taj Harris saying, yeah, I mean, Jacoby and Morgan looks great. Luke McPhail, like, Taj is digging that far down the depth chart looking for quarterback help. I think that's a bit of a problem right now. Yeah, I think that's sort of the Dino plants that in those guys' head. Because even going back to spring camp, Dino was, like, asked about Schrader versus DeVito, and he goes... I think this is the best quarterback room we've ever had. And he talked about Lampson and he talked about uh, Dylan Markowitz and Jacoby and Morgan. And he might be right from a depth perspective. And that's a big thing for him. Anytime he's asked about it, he gets asked about it by Jordan Cornette on ACC Network. And he goes, I'll say this, whoever we start the season with game one, I just really hope we can finish the season with them. I hope he can stay healthy. And he's been very quick throughout this whole cycle and everything to talk about how injuries have played a big factor, which they have, but to a certain extent, it's also just the product hasn't been there, Dino, and you haven't been producing offensively with what you've had, which other teams and other coaches maybe could have done a little bit better. I understand odds have been stacked against Syracuse a little bit, but 1-9 is 1-9, so it's a big year. It's a big decision. 
I do feel like after reading that quote, that strikes me as a guy that's not totally sold on Garrett Schrader, and he's almost trying to make sure that he's getting ahead of it and putting in fan base's mind that Tommy DeVito is going to start week one. Between that and the Nate Mink article, reaching out to Nate Mink, or who knows how it came about, but saying what he said to Nate Mink the way he did, he has to know what that means. And I think he's planting seeds that Tommy DeVito's the starter right now. I will say this. I think he wants Garrett Schrader to be the starter. When you talk about a guy's competitive nature and how his competitiveness is always going to give him a chance, I think he wants Garrett Schrader to start. And that's why I'm starting to to turn on the, the fact that, okay, if it is a tie, it may not go to the incumbent. If Garrett Schrader can do enough, if he can play at the why level Why do you Tommy think that, DeVito, though? I feel like he wants DeVito because he's just always been so high on DeVito, and DeVito's his guy But I think he just one. wants something fresh right now. He wants something fresh because what, what he's had with DeVito the last two years has not been working. It has been a massive disappointment each of the last two years, and he doesn't want that for a third year. So if he can get Garrett Schrader to start, if they're... Listen, he's not going to... Just give Garrett Schrader the job. If Tommy DeVito's playing better, he's going to go to Tommy DeVito. I have full confidence that Dino Babers is not just going to pick a guy because he think because he may want him to start. I think he's going to pick the best quarterback because he knows his job's on the line and he can't play favorites at that point. But just the way that he's talking about guys, when you talk about their competitive nature and their their willingness to work. I think he wants something fresh out there, and he knows how the dual-threat quarterback has served him well in the past at Syracuse. So yeah, if I hope Schrader, you're right. If Garrett Schrader can get the arm, because it seems like, by all accounts, his legs are working fine, and I don't know how much you can really glean from that in a training camp setting because of the fact that you can't hit the quarterback, so I don't really know how effective he is with the legs. I don't think you can take a whole heck of a lot from that. But I think Dino wants Garrett Schrader to start. And it's going to be tough because it seems like Tommy has the edge right now based on everything that's been said in the public sphere. But it's just going to be a wait-and-see process. We'll see what happens because the players are going to know who the better quarterback is. And it is going to be a really quick losing of the locker room if the wrong guy is under center for week one or beyond. Yeah, I would say... I mean, it could just be a, a very tight battle. There's a world where the players are like, yeah, right. I mean, both guys have looked good. But yeah, I think you're right. And I think, I hope Dino is thinking that way. Deep down, I hope that he is really considering making a change to the dual threat option because that has had success. I just worry that he still views Tommy's struggles as more of a reflection on the offensive line, more of a reflection on the fact that he hasn't necessarily been healthy And just the way that he's always considered Tommy, I mean, he thought about Tommy highly when Dungey was there and considered that a competition at times. So I think he likes the idea of a competition, and ultimately he really sees value and maybe that bringing the best out of Tommy. One other note from what Dino said in this article with Nate Mink, just a quick thing on Lee Koba, it definitely seems like he's not coming back. Dino didn't necessarily say that, but he said, quote, I think if you read the tea leaves there, you kind of know. And interesting that in his Twitter bio now, he has the little location emoji and scuba next to it, which reading between the tea leaves there maybe means scuba Mississippi, which might mean East Mississippi Community College, the last chance you school. It might mean he's going there. I don't know why else you'd be in scuba, but that has not been confirmed or denied. It's just 
doesn't seem like he's coming back to Syracuse. Yeah, and, and this is a problem now because now you're looking at the third big-time Dino commit to leave the program. And like when you think about it, it started with Tyrone Sampson, then Kadir White, and now you've got Lee Koba. How about this Ed is a Hendricks? Problem. I mean, that Ed was more Hendricks, injuries. Yes, yeah. I, I'm, I'm forgetting one, but when you've got top-tier talent and you are a school that struggles to attract top-tier talent, that's a problem. When you've got that top-tier guy leaving the program perpetually. So when you've got a guy like Koba, who, by all accounts, it looks like he's on the way out, and he's a guy who I think both of us liked. I know, I I certainly liked him a year ago because he was flying across the field. But this is going to be a big problem because you cannot have this scarlet letter of the top guys always leaving your program after a handful of years. Well, I mean, in this case, he was suspended. It's a little different than Kadir White, who just didn't pan out, or Tyrone Sampson, who right, basically decommitted. Right, but what, what does it or, say about your your staff and how they recruit um, personnel, and not just from an on-field yeah. perspective, but what you do off the field, too? Because he didn't just get suspended just because Dino wanted to suspend him. Something must have happened if he is getting right. suspended. yeah. Yeah, which is, we'll hope, I don't know if we'll ever find out about it, but there was some rumblings about Ole Miss. It seems like it might have been something serious, and maybe he is going to East Mississippi Community College, and maybe we'll see him on Last Chance U if that's, I don't even know, are they still tracking that school? I, I haven't watched recently. I think recently, they are. I, I mean, Netflix is, did you see all the stuff that came out about Netflix and how they're, they're kind of struggling? <laughs> they're, uh, they're pivoting to video games now? So uh, yeah, right. I think Netflix should do all they can to, to keep Last Chance you because people love that. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. Come back and discuss the number one most important receiver in our positional preview series. All right. Number one on the most important receiver list. Just to run through the list one more time. Started with number five back on Monday. That was Courtney Jackson. Number four, Luke Benson. I guess not wide receiver. It's more pass catcher, I should say. We're grouping it into one. So Luke Benson, the tight end position honest. four. We qualified He's, as pass catcher just so we could put Luke Benson in. Yeah. That, right. that was the, <laughs> the full intent of it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very fair. Three, Taj Harris. Two, Damian Alford. And now number one, drum roll. I'm sure a lot of people connected the dots, but it's Anthony Queerly, who we know will start at the uh, outside wide receiver position. At least we're expecting him to play kind of a similar role to last year. So again, not most skilled guy, but most important. Or in other words, if they have a good season, it would mean what for Syracuse? I had Alfred as my number one, but I think Queeley has a, a case. I, I think you were pretty high on Queeley as being. Why do you think he is like the most important guy this year? Because he's been a guy who Syracuse has sort of established as a number two, and he's got more of the pedigree. This is why his floor is higher than Alford's. However, I wouldn't say his ceiling is higher than Alford's. And that, to me, I know that Anthony Queeley is going to see the field this year. I don't necessarily know that Damian yeah. Alford is going to see a whole heck of a lot of snaps. So, as a result of that, I want to see a guy who I know is going to touch the field be a difference maker on the outside. We've heard a little bit of Dino Babers saying, hey, we've got two really good cats at receiver. This is one of the guys he's talking about in Queeley. So, he's been hyped up a little bit by the head coach. He's got a little bit of a track record because he played last year and caught nearly 40 balls last year. So 
I need to see something out of Anthony Queeley because if he is not producing, then you start to think about the receivers that Dino Babers has recruited versus the ones that he kind of inherited. And you start to scratch your head a little bit because the the pedigree isn't quite there. You've got Taj Harris, and then the list kind of teeters out after that. Yeah, so I think he's definitely going to be very important to what they do. The interesting thing is, of the five guys we just mentioned, I can confidently say what type of season we're getting from Anthony Quigley. I don't really have a ton of question marks about what we're getting. I don't think he's going to be the leading receiver. I don't think he's going to be a bad receiver. He was just very consistent last year. Like, you go through his game logs, I don't think he ever had more than five catches in a game. He never had more than 77 yards in one game. But he caught a pass in pretty much every game, if not every game. And he caught multiple passes in most games. And he was a big contributor at the receiver position. And he's going to get a lot of volume again. I just, you said it best, like, he doesn't have the ceiling that maybe you'd want from a number two receiver, but he's got an extremely high floor, and he's been very consistent from what we've seen from him so far. And he doesn't drop the ball. I think that's something that's really important because Syracuse needs a number two guy, someone that they can rely on, a a strong possession receiver, kind of like what they had when they had Steve Ishmael and Amba, but they also had Irv Phillips on the side, and Irv Phillips was catching 90 balls a year. I'm not saying Queeley's going to go out there and catch 90 for you, but if he can get like 60 in a full season with an offense that's moving and going, it's important to have that number two receiver who can be the possession type guy. They didn't really have it last year, and I think Queeley is the closest to being ready to do that. That's why I have him slotted above Alford, but if all three of them can work in tandem, then you're looking at a really, really good offense because hopefully, like Dino kind of said at media day, but the offensive line is going to be night and day from last year, which I, if it's night and night, the season's over. (laughs) Like we can declare it now. (laughs) The season is over (laughs) if, if, uh, if the offensive line plays like it did last year. But I think the quarterback play should be improved. I don't know if it's going to be elite, but it should be. Imp- it cannot be worse than it was last year. It just simply cannot. And if it is, then the season is also over. But I, I think that the offense, a lot of it, it relies on what the receivers can do. What kind of separation can they create on the outside? And Queeley is a really good possession receiver in my eyes. I mean, I think you're starting to see the development in his first real season of action. He goes out and catches 37 balls. Remember, yeah. Taj Harris set the record with what what he catch, like 50 passes in his true freshman season. So that that to me shows that there's a guy who's ready and I think can take the next step now in his progression because he's coming off this weird COVID season. Yeah, he also caught 37 in 10 games, and he did it on the worst offense really in the country. Like his numbers are probably even better yeah. than they look because yeah, if you were to, to scale them, like I yeah. think of baseball, how they have the OPS plus, how it evens out everything yep. to adjust to the park factors and stuff like that. If you were to give yeah. his like receptions plus on an average team, he's probably getting like 55, 60. Right. He really only was able to catch short passes to the left. When you look at his pro football focus and where he catches passes, I'd love to see them be able to use him as an over-the-top threat a little bit more because we know he can be that guy. And there were a couple times that Tommy just flat-out missed him last year. And then also, 
the offensive line was so shaky that they just never had the opportunity to go deep. I mean, 20% of his catches so far have come from 20-plus yards or more. When you look at last year's stats, which is really the only season he's played of note, or the only time he's been out there in real regulation games. So he's not really being used as what is one of his strengths, which is going downfield, going deep, and, and catching a vertical pass. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see how these guys expand their route trees. Even guys like Taj. And for a guy like Damian Alford, we don't really know what his makeup is like quite yet. But there's a lot of question marks. And and that's why I'm kind of happy we started out with the pass catchers here. A lot of question marks in this entire positional group. All of them sans Taj. And with a guy like Queeley, can he take the next step? Alford, can he take the first step? Luke Benson, can he get targeted. I mean, like that, that yeah, <laughs> I just want to see this group be better because I don't think they're a bad unit. I just don't think they've been given the opportunity to thrive. And this year with fingers crossed, better offensive line play, that's going to change. And if it does change, you completely change the trajectory of your season. Right. And if the offensive line is better, and this offense isn't good. I'm sorry, Dino, but if you can't maximize wide receivers, like that's your calling card. So let's see it this year. This is a big year for a lot of reasons, but I'd like to feel that you have developed some of those receivers, not you personally, but the staff and you've recruited well. And let's maximize that wide receiver position because it has been, frankly, a little bit underwhelming the past couple of years for sure. So that is our top five most important pass catchers. We will be back next week and We have six more weeks until the start of the season, week one against Ohio. So over the course of the next six weeks, we will go Monday through Friday, counting down 5-4-3-2-1, most important player from each position group. So stay tuned for next week. Also tweeted us your thoughts on each of these guys we've discussed as we go along here. Your opinions always welcome at LO underscore Syracuse on Twitter. But we will talk to you guys Next week, recapping Bayheim's Army and diving more into our football positional previews. Until then, enjoy Bayheim's Army, and we'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>